0: This is the Oanda Podcast, brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast with me, Johnny Hart, where each week we preview and review the big business and market stories with Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And this week it is Craig Earlham in London and Ed Moyer in New York. Good afternoon, guys.
1: Good afternoon. Thank you for having us.
0: It's an absolute pleasure. Um, Let's start with the markets. And over the last couple of days, we've seen stocks and shares tumble around the world amid concerns that Uh, A further rise in coronavirus cases will certainly hurt still very tentative economic recoveries. And in a moment, Ed, I'll talk to you about the latest GDP figures, which have uh, a mixed set of results in in, in a sense. But uh, I've first come to you, Craig. We've seen big falls on both sides of the Atlantic and in the Far East as well. Uh, But I, I, I imagine they'll probably recover over the next two or three days ahead of the election next week.
2: Well, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Uh, we, we have to remember that a lot of the the market sentiment was kind of based on, on on a couple of things. One is that COVID hadn't got too bad yet, even though we knew the second wave was coming. Another uh, key one was that this belief that we were going to get a stimulus package from the US. Now, quite quickly, the, the, the way these events have unfolded is we've got no stimulus package pre-election from the US and COVID seems to have accelerated quite uh, quite rapidly to the point that we've now got severe restrictions uh, in a number of different countries and they're only going to become more severe again here in the UK and many others. In France we've got a full lockdown, Germany's currently going to be lockdown light, but you can imagine that the situation is going to continue to evolve. I don't think anyone currently views us as having kind of peak COVID. And the news just seems to constantly get a little bit more depressing on that front in terms of how long this is expected to last well well into the start of next year. And I think that, that's, that's a major concern for these markets. I think when we're looking at uh, these expectations now for growth, not only are we seeing a double-dip recession, but the potential casualties here could, I think, potentially be more significant than the first wave. After that first wave, it feels like, uh, the, a lot of these, they're kind of like a wounded animal, they're, they're, they're very weak going into this uh, into this second wave. And while there is going to be extraordinary amounts of government support around the world again, there was an, it was inevitable that we were going to see some companies going bust in that first wave and that we were going to see some levels of unemployment. And I just don't think many of these businesses are now are well equipped to deal with a prolonged second wave. And that seems to be what we're facing up with. So I think the fact that the acceleration, the severity of everything that we've seen more recently with COVID has spooked many people uh, in these markets, which has led to this sell-off. And then when you're coming against the backdrop, of, like, say, failed stimulus talks in the US, an extremely uncertain presidential election, then suddenly many of these downside risks that have existed in these markets for some time, which many people have been warning about and seems to have been largely ignored to to uh, quite a significant degree, some of these are now coming to pass. Uh, and that's I think that's a, that's a big worry, um, not necessarily in terms of we're going to see a repeat of the insane um trading that we saw earlier on this year but just that we could see sentiment take a a, a negative turn now going into at least the next couple of weeks but depending on how COVID then evolves um there, there could potentially be more downside still to come this year
0: and ed how is economic sentiment at the moment um these gdp figures that came out today suggesting that the us economy merged quickly from the depths of the crisis uh, but full recovery obviously remains out of reach but the the economy did grow at um, it seems churlish to call it a record because it came from such a low but 7.4% in the three months to the end of September for the previous quarter obviously it suffered a major decline before that and output remains lower by about 3% compared to the same period a year ago but these numbers are actually better than was originally anticipated, so there is some positivity there in those figures, is there not?
1: Oh well, yes, I think today's data did come in better than expected. However, the outlook continues to deteriorate. I think when we take a look at the the virus spread across the U.S., whether it's new cases, hospitalizations, or even the death toll, unfortunately, they're all trending higher. And I, I think as you you know take a look at just. Um, you know what has really you know supported the economy uh, a, a lot of this was uh, based off of that stimulus that we saw um delivered uh, during the summer by by congress and also you know the, the, the feds efforts I, I think what we've seen though is there's been a few months where we've gotten nothing additional from um uh, whether it's monetary or fiscal support, and uh, eventually that's going to catch up. And, and I think right now you're seeing that there's a lot of pessimism right now that there's going to be limited uh, um, upside here. And, and right now the, the record rebound that we saw in GDP, you know, I, I think we're, we're probably going to see the economy really struggle to, to post uh, further gains from here unless we see better. Uh, Stimulus coming out of Congress, and right now it it seems pretty clear that it, there's nothing happening after the election, and it, it I think it's going to be very difficult to to argue that we'll see something before the end of January or early February. So I, I think, think the um, the outlook for the economy is is very. Um, it's very weak right now. And and, and what we're seeing too uh, throughout this corporate earnings season is that companies are starting to announce more layoffs. And and uh, I think eventually you're going to see the, these labor strains aren't really going to, you know, tilt the hand and make uh, these lawmakers and policymakers deliver more stimulus. But right now I think we're kind of in that wait and see mode. And, and uh, I, I think we saw markets were extremely overly optimistic with um, some of these valuations. And um, right now you're, you're, you're seeing a, um, um, almost a correction uh, occur right now. And uh, I think though uh, no one's expecting, um, you know, a complete sell-off where we see the the lows from March re- revisited. But I think there, there's still room for some further downward pressure here. But um, ultimately, there's still a lot of people on the sidelines. So I think you're going to see people become a little bit more optimistic on U.S. equities, uh, more so than European. And uh, I think with the economy, it's it's going to struggle. It's going to struggle these next few months.
0: And talking of layoffs and redundancies, uh, Craig, of course, the famous furlough scheme um, comes to an end in a couple of days' time. Of course, the Chancellor has announced uh, a a new version uh, of the scheme, which isn't quite as broad. But uh, this has kept the economy going over the last uh, quarter or so, hasn't it, with uh, many, many millions of people keeping their jobs just because of the furlough scheme. So we are now entering uncharted territory, are we not?
2: yeah we are and we're inevitably going to continue to see job losses now over the course of the next month or two as a result of the furlough scheme becoming less generous the new the new scheme effectively being designed to just look after what the chancellor termed viable jobs and there's going to be a certain amount of uh, jobs which are not going to be deemed viable for the next couple of years you're looking at many of the airlines for example it doesn't matter if you extended the furlough scheme another three to six months they're not they're they're not forecasting demand uh, and capacity levels to return to the same levels for at least a couple more years so i think the, the the I think the chancellor is just looking to not support those jobs which are no longer deemed uh, viable. But the problem is going into a second wave, how many more jobs are not going to appear uh, viable, and what kind of levels of unemployment can we potentially look to get to? Um, uh, so it, it's going to be it's going to be extremely interesting to monitor this over the next couple of months. But I think it's going to be incredibly challenging the new scheme may stop us seeing eight nine ten percent unemployment for the next six months for example but I, I do think it is going to be an extremely challenging period now and i think the chancellor is going to be called on to do more because we've already seen you, you we separate uh, the country into three tiers uh, and tier three is initially looked after and then they have to announce measures for tier two Because the problem is if you work in a hospitality industry and the Chancellor's told you you can remain open But no one can actually meet up uh, Friends wise within your establishment then you're actually costing this co- this business around a, a third a two, a 50% maybe even two-thirds or more of their actual business so the they may as well be closed uh, and being uh, back on a furlough scheme so no matter what the chancellor does, there's going to be casualties. I think is the message here, and I feel like we're going to have to see a lot more stimulus measures both from within the UK but elsewhere in order to support through this period. One of the messages we're hearing from the UK at the minute is that this is probably going to be uh, uh, the next. This next phase is probably going to see the spike maybe a little bit lower than where we were previously, but it's going to last much longer towards kind of March time next year. That's a long time for businesses to be running at a bare minimum over a critical period for many of them being the Christmas period. So um, I, I do fear that this second wave is gonna ha- is gonna bring far more casualties, unfortunately, from a, an employment and business perspective than the first wave did. I hope I'm wrong, but um, I, I do fear for the worst at this point.
0: We do seem to be a long way now from those uh, very positive days in the summer in July and, and August when we had the eat out to help out scheme and almost people were fooling themselves that we could get back to normal. And now we're in a situation where this government is still holding on and holding on because it's very reluctant to basically close the economy like we've seen in some areas of Europe. Um, Not obviously altogether closing the economy, but certainly taking the restrictions that little bit further. And uh, the Conservative government, very reluctant at the moment. But this does feel a little bit like March when... People said at the time, you know, you need to do a lockdown earlier in mid-March and then they waited two weeks and they say that those two weeks cost thousands of lives. But you can understand from the government's point of view, uh, particularly Boris Johnson, who is always going to be reluctant to shut down elements of the economy because people's jobs and livelihoods are at stake. It is the ultimate choice, is it not?
2: It is, and uh, the, the, you can see the the case for either the kind of the kind of hard resets, the two week shutdown, three week shutdown, four week shutdown. you you cut off the virus as much as you possibly can, then you get the economy moving again, and once again, you then encourage social distancing, mask wearing, and I think maybe after this second wave, people may take it a little bit more seriously. You saw this kind of lax attitude appearing uh, uh, over the last few months, Uh, and I think another severe second wave, and I think people may start to take a little bit more notice. But you you can almost, you can see a case for both. Um, You look at somewhere like China, where they did take measures which at the time were labelled draconian, that there was saying that you would never see a western country adopting such kind of uh, such a shutdown uh, approach but then the, they've been extremely successful in, re- in reopening the economy since and we're seeing that evident in a lot of the economic data then you see a, the complete opposite approach like we're seeing in sweden and you've seen some of the benefits of that approach uh, as well. The the kind of approach to herd immunity and the impact of the benefits that it's had for the economy. Uh, although we are starting to, uh, I believe, uh, increases in the number of cases there once again. So you will have to, again, judge this um, in past tense uh, at some point in the future, which is obviously the easier way to do it. I think ultimately it seems with many of these governments, pretty much all of the governments, it seems, apart from Germany, uh, everyone's going to get it wrong for one reason or another. And it's, an impossible job. I've said it before, and I will said again. I'm not envious of any leader who's got to be making decisions in this environment, because if everyone within the country disagrees, then you're not only can you not appease everyone, but it feels like you're only going to appease a very small portion, no matter what decision you make.
0: I want to focus more on the American economy in a minute, uh, Ed, and particularly uh, how President Trump has been bigging up the U.S. economy and the figures over the last. Uh, at 24 hours or so. But a quick word from you, Craig, about uh, the ECB this week. What happened there?
2: So it was kind of in line with what many people were expecting, really. There is some that were hoping that they may uh, announce some stimulus measures today that... The, the lockdown that was seen uh, announced in France, the the, the lockdown like that we're seeing in Germany and the more restrictions we're seeing across and the, the rising number of cases, Italy seeing a stark rise, uh, and therefore we're going to see more restrictions there as well. I think there was some hope that we were going to get a surprise stimulus, a kind of little jolt for the markets. I, I very much see the case for not, Doing that today, uh, and for holding off, and exactly what the ECB has done. The simple fact remains that we've only just seen these uh, measures announced by Germany and France, and the situation is going to get worse before it gets better. So they're kind of you've, if the ECB had acted today, they have been effectively reacting in the dark. Moreover, between now and the next six weeks, there's a lot that's going to unfold. We're going to see how severe COVID is going to get in terms of this second wave, or at least have a much better idea. We're going to know whether we're dealing with a Brexit deal or a No Deal Brexit. Which is two very different prospects as far as the UK, uh, but also the EU is concerned. And even a little bit further afield, the US president, presidential election, we're going to see how that's unfolding, what it means uh, there as well. Add all together, uh, on top of all the economic data, which we'll get in the interim, uh, and the fact that they'll have the new economic forecast. And it's so rare that you actually see a big policy shift at a meeting when there's not forecast to support it. So I think that was one of the big arguments against today. So I think the ECB's made a, a very sensible decision. They very much made a send a very clear message to the markets that it is a case of just not today. It will be tomorrow, uh, suggesting that there's going to be a recalibration uh, of monetary policy. That they are that the risks are clearly tilted to the downside. That the economy performed better in Q3, but is expected now to perform much worse in Q4. The risks very much tilted to the downside. All of these warnings very clearly laying the groundwork for more monetary easing at the next meeting. It's just a question of what they're going to do. I think more QE is inevitable. It's part of the asset purchase program, the um, pandemic and emergency purchase program. So it's just a case of how far they go. Are they going to come sporting a bazooka or are they going to come sporting something much more powerful again? And I, think, I feel like uh, the, the latter uh, may uh, be more likely uh, and more suitable given the circumstances. But again, it's you know, in many ways symbolic because unless they announce something new and shocking, more of the same when you're at these levels of monetary policy is not going to be as significant as a, a shift in the dial as terms of fiscal policy.
0: Okay, um, well, we're set for an extraordinary next few days. Um, you mentioned Brexit; there could be a deal, um, but beyond all that, the only game in town is going to be the U.S. presidential election, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and uh, probably beyond. Ed, I'm sure you agree, but there's so much at stake on this election. They're calling it the most important one since the Second World War. We've had that. We've heard that all before, haven't we, about how important these elections are. But this seems to be uh, one of those moments in history where uh, if it goes one way, then the rest of the next 20 or 30 years will be very, very differently shaped. But I have to say, for me, it's not about whether Biden will win. It's more whether Trump will accept the result and whether we might see potential civil disobedience or worse on American streets. Have Markets, Ed, factored in the risks associated with an election result that Donald Trump refuses to accept.
1: Initially, there was growing concern that, you know, Trump would not leave the White House if uh, he lost this election. Um, And as we got through these debates, um, what happened was the markets pretty much wrote this off. They've become complacent. They've expected uh, the they expect the polls to be right. Uh, I, I think what we're seeing is there's just a, a, a tremendous amount of early voting that has taken place. Um, I, I'm, I'm expecting this to be a record turnout. I think everyone is now. Um, and if let's say we see 150 million votes, um, right now over 75 have been casted. So I think it, it, there's strong optimism here that you know this is gonna be a record turnout. And if that's the case, then I think you're gonna have a lot of people expect that these public opinion polls are going to be right. And I think what we're seeing is there's just too much momentum and it's not just across the battleground States. It's even seeping into these red States. So a decisive Biden victory, and this is what wall street is starting to, to price in is going to cement that belief that, you know, Trump will leave the office. And if he doesn't, I, I think that, you know, there, there is, yes, that concern that we could see, um, some disruptive behavior and riots, and um, however, I, I, I think that you're you're, you're going to see that is not likely to to I think pan out. Um, um, there there you know ultimately if he contests this election, if there's uh, a refusal on his part, this would go to the Supreme Court. And even though it, it's now extremely uh, conservative majority, um, I, I think that you're going to see them uphold to the Constitution. And I, I think. You know, I think most people are anticipating that um, he will um, uh, eventually leave. Um, so I think there's there's a, a big amount of expectations that that will happen. Um, but as far as the election goes, I think we have to remember that while the Biden outcome seems to be the heavy uh, base case that is being priced in, uh, the Senate is is uh, is also consensus expected to go to the Democrats, but it could be a lot closer. I think you're you're, going to see that uh, a a lot of these diehard Republicans who are uh, fed up with the administration, uh, they're going to keep those uh, those votes for senators going to the Republicans. So I think the Senate race is going to be extremely tight. And there's even a chance that if the Democrats um, are winning this uh, back, um, you know, it it, it might not be, have a clear result for a few weeks. And even if let's say it does come down to that, that Senate race in Georgia, where they have a runoff election, um, because in Georgia, you would need over 50% of the vote to to win. And there is an independent that right now seems he's going to get a few, few percentage vote, vote, percentage vote uh, votes there. You could have an election in early January to decide the outcome of the Senate. So there's, there's still a lot of question marks up in the air, as far as you know, how the the balance of power will unfold, and uh, I, I think the Senate race is, is key. And uh, until we we, we see uh, markets have a you know comfortable hand on that, uh, you know it's going to be really tough to to price risky assets over these next few weeks.
0: And on this side of the pond, Craig, um, assuming Biden is going to win, it's not such great news for the conservative government because they kind of allied themselves, particularly Boris Johnson, with. President Trump and Biden's already said that he's concerned about the Good Friday agreement within that uh, Brexit deal and so on and so forth. And uh, I was reminded about President Obama's um, comments before the Brexit vote, saying that the UK would be at the back of the queue, of course, in uh, negotiations should uh, we vote for Brexit. And uh, that's still kind of hanging around within the Democrat Party, isn't it, really? And uh, it's not such great news initially, although you'd think things will level out after a while and the special relationship will continue.
2: I'd say Boris Johnson sees Donald Trump as a better ally than Joe Biden. Uh, I think we've seen that evident really over the course of the last couple of years and I'm sure if Boris Johnson had the casting vote uh, that, that Trump would remain in the White House that said i don't think it makes an enormous difference uh, the the noise we've had with regards to the good friday agreement only really comes into play if we don't see a deal uh, if we do see a deal with the eu then i don't see that being as much of an issue and in fact even more so if we do get a deal uh, then I imagine that Biden may potentially be less restrictive in terms of a deal with the U.S. in certain in certain areas. We know the hostility from Trump towards Europe, so I imagine it may be potentially less of a barrier as far as the Biden administration is concerned. in 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 relation to the Obama comments four years ago, I think it was nonsense at the time, and I think many people saw it as nonsense at the time. It very much was a case of saying to David Cameron, what would you like me to say here that's going to uh, have an influence on this vote on 23rd of June? And he's probably been told, tell everyone we'll be back at the queue. Uh, And he's come out and said, I don't think he meant it. I don't think Joe Biden would mean it. I think if the UK secures a deal with the EU, uh, upholds the Good Friday Agreement, then we are still two very close allies. And that just brings you back to something that Joe Biden said uh, not too long ago, which is that throughout... This uh, that it's this last four years that Donald Trump has gone out of his way. I think this was in the last debate to make enemies of allies and allies of enemies, and and I, and I think Joe Biden is going to be very keen to uh, to uh, mend rifts between the U.S. and the EU, and I think uh, a trade deal with the UK would not be at the back of the queue I think that would be uh, I think that would happen relatively quickly maybe not as quickly as would under the Trump administration but I still think it would happen relatively quickly
0: okay guys uh, before I let you go um, obviously the presidential election is uh, is the big story for next week but what else should we look out for over the next seven days or so
1: I think uh, there's going to be a big emphasis on these uh, those flash PMI readings. Uh, we get them at the start of every month. I think the uh, economic recovery, uh, we're going to you know get a cue as far as you know how bad is the slowdown um, you know taking place, and we have a few big rate decisions. Um, I, I think uh, uh, lost in this election madness is that uh, <laughs> the fact that central banks uh, are, are ready to act. Uh, we have the RBA on uh, Monday night or tuesday morning for you guys uh they're they're expected to uh cut rates um and then um after the election we have uh the uh, bank of england and uh, the, i think uh you know the outlook has deteriorated further i think there's a, you know there's growing expectations that you're going to have more dovishness come out of them and then on uh, thursday we have the the fed with uh, their rate decision and the fed has been you know consistently you know, preaching to Congress to deliver more stimulus, they haven't. And I think a lot of policymakers were expecting that they were going to deliver uh, uh, some type of uh, skinny deal before the election. And and now the Fed's going to have to, you know, address, you know, the the concerns, you know, over these next couple of months, uh, because it, it seems pretty clear that uh, it's going to be an uphill battle to see anything come through. And uh, I think you're going to probably see the Fed is going to have to, you know, touch, you know, whether or not they're getting closer to adopting yield curve control. Uh, are they going to increase their asset purchases? Uh, so so uh, this is a this is going to be a meeting that's going to kind of signal, you know, what's the, the Fed's, you know, you know, next steps. You know, the, the toolkit is they're, they're running out of options here uh, and uh, they can't you know, make up for any shortfall with fiscal support. So we're going to see a, a Fed that's likely to be. Uh, Make sure that uh, the markets know that they have their back, but I think there's 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 a potential you know upside here. Uh, I think for risky assets, if the Fed does deliver somewhat of a, a clearer message, but uh, I think uh, you know it's 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 going to be a meeting that's heavily followed, especially you know once we're beyond the election.
0: And uh, Craig, any chance that the Bank of England will next week announce uh, negative interest rates?
2: Uh, I would say no, and um, uh, maybe that's just my own bias leaning me, uh, leading me. Uh, but no, I don't think there is. I think there's a, a potentially a strong chance that they will announce more quantitative easing, though. Um, they, they've they've indicated before that the 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 the, the current purchases take them up to pretty much the end of the year the 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 economy is going to suffer now in the final quarter of this year with the re- restrictions which are being imposed across the country and already it seems that almost every day you see an alert on learn your phone which says this region has moved to tier two this region has moved to tier three in fact there was literally an alert on my phone right just just as we started this podcast uh, to say that parts of yorkshire has moved to tier two uh, and, and to say that uh, other parts of the country has moved up to tier two uh, as well so when when we're seeing this on a regular basis that is going to take its economic toll uh, it is going to take its economic toll and i think the bank of england is going to be forced to respond the uh, i said earlier that It seems very rare that central banks will act Um, barring earlier this year of course uh, when they're not releasing economic projections and November is one of those quarterly economic projection meetings uh, which means that I think it wouldn't be surprise me if the Bank of England does increase its quantitative easing programme next week so I think that will be uh, certainly one to watch as Ed says the central banks are going to be key now once again in the next next period on top of the fiscal authorities much of the economic data I I think is going to be ignored again because it's going to be seen as old news uh, in much of the way that we've seen at times over the course of this week which, again, makes those PMIs all the more interesting because they give us a much better indication as to how businesses view the current restrictions rather than what happened three months ago, for example. So I think that is going to be interesting. But ultimately, I just I, I just can't see past the election at this point. The election is number one, number two, and number three. And, uh, and maybe Brexit on top of that because we are now hitting another crux point. Forget the deadlines, forget all of that. We are hitting a point now where there's going to have to be a deal. They're running out of time. They're running out of time in terms of there's just not enough of the year left. And this is something that has to be ratified in the European Parliament, in our Parliament, and across 27 member states. We are running out of time. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have to have a deal. And I've said before, I've always been optimistic that we are going to see a deal. Ignore the brinkmanship. Ignore the garbage that we see in the media. Ignore all of that ignore the deadlines that I've missed ignore the fact that this has taken far longer than it should have um and if you wouldn't mind ignore the fact that I said Theresa May's withdrawal agreement would get through uh <laughs> but I've always been confident that there will be a deal and that we wouldn't leave on no deal terms at the end of all of this uh and I think despite the fact that it was it was just nonsense the 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 weeks pause in these negotiations because it just seemed like a bit of a petty squabble at the worst possible point. I think the fact that I think it, it was kind of a soft reset for talks and it enabled now these talks to resume uh, on a much more kind of level uh, level surface level playing field in terms of both sides can now afford to compromise without losing face publicly because the pressure was ramping up from both sides that one side was going to be seen to lose and neither side can afford for that to be the case. So I feel like these talks have now resumed in a manner that compromises can be struck without uh, without it costing politically back at home. And therefore, I'm more optimistic than I've been for a long time that we're going to get this deal over the line. So the next couple of weeks is going to be key. But like I say, I think the election right now is one, two and three. And before you go, guys, this time next week... Is it going to be
0: president biden or president trump ed you go first
1: i I feel uh, markets are going to take the results of florida and and run with it and i think that's going to be clearly a a biden victory and uh, i think you're going to see much of the country um, go that way
2: you can never count trump out um i think we've seen that so much in the past but the, the the poll lead is just so significant it would be it would be an incredible um, scene uh, if the polls have got it as wrong as they would have if Trump were in. like I say, you can't count them out. But I think uh, if, if I was going to uh, throw some money on it, it would have to be on Biden.
0: OK, guys, thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, well, we'll speak to you in a week's time. And it uh, should be very interesting to look back or indeed to see what's going on at the time. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you.